the first night she's like okay here's uh where you guys will be sleeping and i look at the mattresses and i'm like where did you get these mattresses and she's like oh i actually got them for free from the brothel across the road <laughs> and we run a charity to fight human trafficking right like yeah we know whoops. what's going on and we're like yeah we can't we can't sleep here The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 180. In North Korea, there are 28 government-approved haircuts that all citizens must choose from. I'm fine with that, as long as the mullet's an option. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and today's show is part two of my interview with Jared Brock, author of the book, The Year of Living Prayerfully, and also someone with some of the most amazing travel stories I've ever heard. So if you missed part one, you're going to want to go and listen to that now. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher. You can get it at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, or you can get it however you are listening to this podcast. Because in part one, Jared tells us why he was told that he'd end up as either a pastor or a prisoner and which one he's fulfilled so far how Jared and his wife started a charity and filmed a documentary about sex trafficking despite knowing nothing about cameras and filming and why he thought traveling 37,000 miles around the globe was the best way to explore prayer and how he got a publisher to buy into that idea and actually pay him to do that. So you can go listen to part one right now on iTunes, on Stitcher, at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. And right now, let's jump into part two of my interview with Jared Brock. All right, well, let's talk about a few of those adventures then, starting with, of course, the Pope. I mean, as you mentioned, that's probably the first. When someone thinks, all right, you're going to write a book about religion and or prayer. Oh, who should I talk to? Well, maybe the Pope would be a good idea. How did you... I mean, how is this possible? Because I try to teach people, hey, you want to get someone on your podcast? Here's how to reach out. You're getting the Pope, all right? So the man here. How did? How were you able to swing that? And what was it like? Because I have well, to ask two questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, this is a day of uh, self-reflection, isn't it? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I figured for the Catholic chapter that if I'm, if I'm going to learn about Catholic prayer, I should, and I'm not Catholic, so I figured if I'm going to learn about Catholic prayer, I should ask the head of the Catholic Church. So I tried everything, Travis. Like I called all the embassies, I emailed all the consulates, I had like introductions from everyone I could possibly find. I actually like got a fax number because they still use faxes in the 21st century. And like I I ended up my last ditch effort was I actually like flew to Rome and I mailed the Pope three postcards from his own post office with his face on the stamp. And 
they like looked at me when I brought them to the Vatican post office and I was like, yeah, you literally need to throw these over the wall. <laughs> so I tried everything and, you know, we're praying and we're hoping and, and no doors are opening. And so we take a tour of Rome and then we visit um, Assisi where St. Francis was from. And then we go to Monte Cassino where St. Benedict was from. And our last night in, um, in Monte Cassino, uh, we get home one night and there's a, uh, there's a Skype voicemail at 10 p.m. on Saturday night, and it says, Hello, this is Monsignor Alfred. Please come to the Domo Santa Marta at noon tomorrow. We're like, what? So we rush back to Rome, and nothing's open on Sunday, and we've been traveling for months. So my wife and I literally met the Pope in jeans and yoga pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he's using a fax machine, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, his assistant was, yeah. Right. Pope Francis is like a super gracious guy and he's like really reviving the Catholic church right now. And such, such a humble guy. It was actually really interesting. So twice during our conversation, he asked me to pray for him. And I thought that was so cool. Like here's the spiritual leader for a billion people. And he understands his great need for a power higher than himself. I thought that was really cool. Just that humility. And he actually gave us rosaries as gifts and they're staped with his papal insignia. And the motto that he picked was lowly, but chosen. And I thought that's really cool. Like this guy's entitled to like a 12 room palatial mansion, but he actually lives in a spare room of the guest house and eats all his meals in the cafeteria. So he was at the next table for lunch. We had lunch with his assistant and yeah, it was just, it was a really cool, it's a really cool time. Like I I know that sounds like totally underplaying. Like it was a cool time to hang out with the Pope, but like (laughs) it was actually like, I don't know. He was just a really nice guy. How long did you have with him? And what was the conversation like were you were you really interviewing him or was it kind of just as you mentioned hanging out with him well like i mean it was a really it was a meet and greet uh we had like three minutes with him we got to ask him one question about prayer and you'll have to read the book to find out what the question and answer was of course but um he uh yeah so like what's funny is he speaks seven languages but we weren't sure if uh english was one of them because he's like read English statements, but he doesn't like converse in English. So we get in there and we start talking with him and it becomes very apparent that like we need to speak another language and boom, Michelle's Spanish came in handy. <laughs> nice. So yeah. Michelle actually got to ask him the question. Oh no, I speak solid Spanglish because uh, I worked okay. in a bunch of Spanish kitchens. So um, we basically all spoke Spanglish and it worked out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you meet the Pope, and you get to do some other some other stuff. Uh, we mentioned walking on hot coals. So where did that come in, and why did that happen? So, like, I mean, it's probably important to note that this is a humorous book on prayer. Uh, it's never really been done before. I, I think this. if people are, like, looking at the title, like, the cover, if you go to his website, you'll realize that it's, yes, it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a nice, interesting, humorous look on the topic versus going to be very dry and boring. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah, like even people who like don't have any faith or religion have like loved this book, which has been really cool. But um, so walking on coals, I did a weird chapter where I explored kind of the fringes. So thus how you end up at a nudist church. That's how you walk on coals. That's how you end up at Westboro. So basically I went to this Tony Robbins convention in Florida. Tony Robbins is a genius, obviously. Uh, he's like so smart, but the crowd that he's speaking to cannot handle what he's pitching. <laughs> and uh, so so basically it's a 12-hour day, no breakfast, lunch, or dinner breaks, no bathroom breaks. It's just like this full inundation. Like it's just coming at you like a fire hydrant. And uh, you try to just get some nuggets out of it. But 
it ends with a firewalk. And my thought was, surely you must meet, need prayer in order to throw your body across a 12-foot chasm of, of 2,000-degree burning hot coals, right? Basically, they teach you like uh, to like flex your whole body to like really amp up your testosterone. They call it making it make your move. So I did like a double bicep like Hulk flex. It was like a huh, right? And then you get in the zone and you really like just chill out. You breathe. And then you, as you start to walk, you have a mantra. And the mantra that he recommended was, Cool moss, cool moss. Cool. Which I was like, I was like that's actually brilliant. So the idea was we'd go outside, we'd cut, we'd get to the platform, we'd make our move, zone out, cool moss, cool moss as we walk across. So we get outside. It's past midnight. There's like hundreds of volunteers, and they're all chanting, "Yes, yes." It's like so <laughs> freaky. How many people are getting ready to do this to oh, walk like, on the coals? Like Five thousand people. Like. <laughs> So, so we get out there and, uh, yeah, so no prayer was involved, uh, <laughs> evidently, but, uh, I get to the front of the line, Travis, and, uh, I'm just about to make my move when a volunteer goes head up and go and pushes me onto the bed of coals. <laughs> I didn't make my move. I didn't get in the zone. I wasn't thinking about cool moss and my right foot hits first and a hot coal lodged between my big toe and the ball of my foot. And it was so hot that Michelle took video of it and I literally like drummer boy high step marched across these coals so so like hard that the volunteers had to catch me at the other end and spray my feet off so I had blisters for a couple of months but uh thankfully I could still walk (laughs) wow so why did you ever find out why the person pushed you like that's what I would ask like hey I'm supposed to make my move and then chill out I think he was just trying to get through the line I think he wanted to go home to bed (laughs) oh man you can't be doing that with hot coals around, no, man. He's got a, I guess that's why he's a volunteer. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Some other adventures that you've had. I mean, we could probably go off on these forever. North Korea, like what, you know, you're talking about uh, Judeo-Christian tradition and, and visiting a lot of Western civilizations. Why do you end up in North Korea? Well, North Korea has been rated the most dangerous place on earth for Christians 12 years in a row. There's over 50,000 Christians in North Korean concentration camps in like Nazi work style gulags. So I basically wanted to go there and pray and bear witness to the suffering. I wasn't there to smuggle in Bibles or evangelize or anything. I just wanted to like understand, you know. So I ended up, uh, I I flew in through China. Obviously, you can't go from South Korea. So I flew in from through Beijing. And uh, as soon as I land, they like take my passport away for safekeeping, right? They like assigned me a guide, which was totally a guard. Like if I'd used the urinal, he'd like either be at the urinal beside me or like by the sink. They check us into this hotel and they're like, you can go anywhere you want. Just don't leave the building. But not like it would matter because the hotel's on an island. So you can't get away anyways. Like, and basically, Travis, I was on a five-day propaganda tour where they just like show you how awesome North Korea is, and then they tell you how awful America is. Actually, you'll be interested to know that you guys aren't called Americans in North Korea. You're called American imperialists, which okay. is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, when Canadians always say they want to be called Americans, because I always get this from Canadians sometimes, like, oh, we're Americans too. And I get it, like, North Americans, we just happen to, the U.S. happens to call themselves Americans. Right. So, are they calling you American imperialists as well, or do you get off easy? Well, <laughs> It's actually it, – well, so it's far easier to travel to North Korea as a Canadian than as American. I would imagine, sure. yeah. Um, when I travel, I am pretty quick to make the distinction that I am Canadian and I found that I actually – the reception I get, uh, especially in like 
communist type countries or like socialist countries is far more warm when you mention that you're Canadian and not American. But in North Korea, actually, we got to go to the DMZ, like the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea on the north side. When we're in there, there's this the ranking official that day uh, was like uh, he was like a commander or some sort. He wouldn't let anyone take pictures with him. And he kept pointing to like lesser guards, like take pictures with those guys. So, <laughs> so that was fine. So people are snapping pictures with him and whatnot. And then he gives us the tour and and he's talking about how like when the Americans invaded North Korea, which is totally not what happened. North was backed by Russia and China. They came south. The UN led by the US pushed them back to the parallel, right? Like right. it's not how they tell it all. But every time he would say American imperialist, he's like looking and pointing at me, maybe because I have a great beard. I'm not sure. But he keeps looking at me. So I stealthily pull out my wallet and I have a Canadian flag in it. And I catch him just as he, at one point, he's like, American imperialist. And he points at me and I flash him my Canadian flag. And he like catch, he kind of grins and then like (laughs) stops doing that with me, like stops like pointing at me. So we continue on the tour and we actually go to like the blue building between the two countries. We get to like straddle two nations at the same time. And uh, on the wall on the north side, there's like a picture of all the countries that supported the UN during the war of fifth, in the 50s. And he points at it and through a translator, he goes, see, you did this. Canada was part of this. And I just, and in the moment, I shot back at him and I was like, don't bring me into this. I had nothing to do with this. I wasn't even born yet. And he goes, but don't you think that future generations should be held responsible? I said, that's absurd. Do you think that German children should today should pay, pay for the war crimes of Nazis? And he like stops and the whole room goes silent. And he just goes, hump. And he moves on with the tour. At the, end of the, at the end of the tour, he offers to be in pictures with me. And I have three selfies with like the ranking like person on duty at the DMZ that day. No one had ever had a rational argument with him before. I totally could have gone to prison, but still, like I was so mad. Well, I was either going to prison, which would have yes, fulfilled it. the second part of the that's prophecy, right. yeah, right. or you're getting three selfies. I think that's a good trade-off, man. That's the, a good trade-off. <laughs> the risk reward there is well worth it. Oh, I don't know. As you mentioned, it was easier for you as a Canadian to get into North Korea. What Hoops did you have to jump through to get into North Korea? Because it was one of those... uh, Everyone I know who's gone has been on one of those tours. I think that's basically the only way to go unless you sneak in somehow and then you're going to die. But like, what did you have to do to get into North Korea? Yeah, so you have to go through a government-sanctioned tour agency. Um, So I actually applied to one and I got rejected because they'd seen my... They saw my Huffington Post articles and they assumed I was a journalist. So I actually applied to another government-sanctioned tour agency and they accepted me. And I just didn't tell my wife about the first one until I got back from North Korea. <laughs> it's a pretty simple process. You just have to, you know, you get your visa. There's no stamp in your passport for it, which I'm kind of okay with because otherwise I just get pulled into back rooms at every airport for the next five years. You actually get this like bright blue visa that you have to apply for in advance. And the, I think I think the creepy thing is, is that they like search, for, like the fact that they knew I had written Huffington Post articles, like they're obviously doing a little bit of research on you. But it is like, I mean, the people of North Korea, they're like people anywhere else. Like they want their kids to have a good education. They want to have, they want to eat. They want to have a safe place to sleep. The difference is, whereas our rampant love of celebrity extends to sports and the Kardashians and music and film in North Korea, it's simply just 
it's just concentrated into one family, the Kim dynasty. So Kim Il-sung, the founder of the country, he's God in North Korea. Like the calendar's at year like 115 right now because it starts from the year of his birth. Like the whole country existed for the veneration of basically three men. And so it's actually trying to play God. And we all do that, right? Like we all want to have ultimate power and fame and sex and money and possessions. But at the end of the day, it actually will ruin us. So I'm I'm really hopeful for the future of of North Korea, not just politically, but also like spiritually and intellectually and emotionally. Like it's such a closed off world. It really is like being on Mars. Yeah, that's it's fascinating. And, and not a lot of people have gotten to do that. And I think that's really neat that you were able to do it and able to tie it into this idea that you were going around and learning about prayer and about religion in these different places. And then you're going somewhere like that just to just to get a sense of it. I mean, I, I've done that in my traveling too before where it's like, I don't even know what I want to accomplish here or, or I don't even really want to accomplish anything here. I just want to be here and see it so that I can understand it different from what I hear. And you know, you can form your own opinions basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, and I went into it with the same mindset that I went to Westboro Baptist church. And the mindset was this, we will only see reconciliation once we have relationship. They will never be included in the family of nations until we have relationships with them. So I think the more travel we can do, um, it would be nice if some of them could travel out of North Korea to see how the rest of the world works too. But I would encourage people like, if you can do it safely, don't be stupid. Go and just, I think it's so important that we just become friends with people because, you know, once you have friends in Afghanistan, you don't. You don't be like, oh, the war in Afghanistan, they're all a bunch of jihadis. You're like, oh, man, I really am cheering for Afghanistan because I know people there and love people there. And I want the best for Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya and Egypt and every right like North Korea. I think travel is is key to the peace process. For sure. What were some of your other more eye opening experiences during this year? Like, I mean, I went to Mount Athos, which is this all dude holy mountain in Greece. Women have been forbidden for over a thousand years, including female animals. They import male-only animals. And um, that was that was beautiful because basically Mount Athos, um, the monasteries are all like th- just thousands of years old. And the reason that Western civilization basically exists today is because they um, protected the libraries and vaults and manuscripts of the Western world during during times of, you know, Islamic invasion and then obviously the Crusades where the West swept back and then all these conquests and all that stuff. So that was a really cool to just be kind of at the, like the epicenter of like, of religion really. Like, uh, and of course the monks on Athos are very mystical and some of them can like supposedly read minds and some of them can supposedly levitate and like, they believe that the world will stop, that our hearts will stop beating if the prayers on Mount Athos ever stop. So it's very like mystical and crazy, but it was really cool. That That's fascinating. And then was there any times on this trip that you thought, all right, this isn't going the way that I, I, I want it to go in terms of what I'm going to be writing? Or any times you thought, all right, this, this just isn't going to work. Like, I, I don't want to be here. I'm going to give up. I'm going to cut this out or anything like that. Um. Honestly, Travis, that's just not in my personality. I have an absolute and total disregard for failure. Like, I just have no interest in it. And, like, I mean, there are things that I'm disappointed that didn't get to happen. Like, um, I wanted to meet Billy Graham, and I went to his house twice, but he has, like, barbed wire fences and security guards and whatnot, so I couldn't get in, um, which is sad. But, like, I still hope that I'll get to meet Billy Graham. Like, 
I mean, I just think you keep going. Like, if I had have only emailed 77 rabbis, I wouldn't have had this beautiful, <laughs> rich experience of having Passover. Like, you keep trying, and doors open, doors close, and you just kind of roll with the punches. And I, I wouldn't say that there was something that I felt like I had to give up on because I just try something else and circle back and, yeah. What was your travel like during this time and how did it compare to the travel that you do and we'll get into that then next that that you do on your own independent travel versus all right i'm doing this for the book and i and i've got a uh, publisher and and a book deal and we're doing this what was your travel like during the time that you did the book it was definitely a little bit different than how i would usually travel um this time i stayed in quite a few hostels which i actually normally don't how I normally travel is we kind of work the referral chain. And so we've actually stayed for free with friends of friends of friends uh, over 250 nights in the last three years. And so that's pretty standard for us. Whereas I don't didn't really have a lot of those connections in places like, let's say, Spain, for instance. So like we had friends in Rome and uh, a place in Israel. But like, you know, South Korea, you just end up in a hostel kind of thing. So th- that was definitely different. But other than that, like, I mean, I travel pretty cheap. Um, being Canadian, we can't mileage hack flights like you guys can as well. We just don't have a credit system that's just like such a free-for-all. But um, <laughs> that has its upsides and downsides. We were the sixth least affected country in the world by the 2008 recession. So that was, that was nice. Um, we never had a housing bubble pop. but um, So we can't really mileage hack like that. But So we try to do it in other ways with like accommodations and just finding affordable flights. Um packing really light i would say those are the big ones that is one of the things that you mentioned earlier when we were chatting right before we got on the podcast was about minimalism and how that's been able to drastically affect and improve your ability to travel and to live the life that you do which is six months in your airstream in canada and then six months traveling were you always someone who was a minimalist? Were you are you a converted minimalist? You know, and what type of things do you guys actually have? Yeah, so definitely just grew up pretty standard North American lifestyle. Um, th- when Michelle and I went to Central America, we took the hundred things challenge, basically you know paring down your possessions to less than hundred items. So we traveled for five months through Central America with eighty eight combined total items, and that was so freeing to just not have to be possessed by our possessions. So we came home and we just started purging like crazy. And so minimalism has been huge for us. Like we live in a, in a 1975 Airstream six months a year. Um, we only buy used laptops um, because we don't want to contribute to conflict minerals. Um, we don't own cell phones. We don't have a TV or a microwave. I'm a vegetarian. We're carbon neutral. We buy at least 80% of our clothes used. We've just tried to take a lot of steps to create a margin of time and money so we can focus on projects that we feel called to work on. We couldn't do it without minimalism. It's a tool for sure. So when people hear that, they hear all the things that you just said. I'm carbon neutral. I'm vegetarian. Well, I guess vegetarian kind of makes sense. But carbon neutral, you know, we buy all used clothes, this and that. And, you know, it seems like, okay, they're doing everything right when it comes to living this type of lifestyle that you're mentioning. If someone's going to take a first step, like is there an important first step for someone to take? Because you came from a regular North American household, so did I. And it's funny to say regular, uh, it is regular, but when you actually look at the amount of stuff you have, you oh, think, crazy. how is this regular? Right? No, like, yeah, totally. But what could someone do to take a first step into something like that? 
Well, I, I think the answer to that, Travis, is in the question is you have to take a first step. So for Michelle, it was she decided one day that she was no longer going to buy chocolate that wasn't fair trade. She grew up in Ethiopia and saw coffee farmers grinding it out and getting just absolutely ground out by companies like Nestle and Starbucks and whatnot. So she just said, no more slave chocolate. For me, it was used clothes. I was just like, I'm going to stop buying used clothes. Um, the pesticides that we spray on cotton are awful. The work conditions in places like Bangladesh are terrible. And so I mostly buy used clothes. So that was the first step for us. For my friend Matt, um, it was he decided to give up um, coffee that wasn't fair trade. So yeah, taking that first step, none of what we, how we live now happened overnight. That was, if you had have told me when I got married that I was going to be vegetarian living in an airstream, I'd be like, what are you smoking? <laughs> so take the first step and then just keep on the journey. Do the next right thing, I think is probably the the big takeaway there. Yeah, and I, I just think it's interesting that the theme that's kind of permeated through all of this, and I didn't intend it to be this way, but that's why I love doing these interviews, is it is just doing one thing then leads to something else, to something else, to something else. You don't have any idea what that something else is even going to be because when I heard you saying, hey, we do all this stuff, I even I got overwhelmed. Someone who is a fairly minimalist type person you know, doesn't lead a real conventional life. But I was like, wow, like what is, you know, your carbon neutral, you don't, but it is, it's like, all right, I'm going to give up chocolate or I'm going to give up buying new clothes or this and that. And then that kind of then just helps flesh out the path that you're going down, I think. Mm -hmm. And like Michelle and I don't even feel like we're even close to where we could be because we have friends who are like on a whole other level. Like, like you've heard of the hundred mile diet. We have uh, two couple, uh, we have a couple, they're friends of ours. And they have like a hundred yard diet. Like they eat only what they grow locally and seasonally within like a hundred yards of their house. Like it's crazy. Like they don't make waste. <laughs> like it's insane. <laughs> yeah. So so I feel like we have like so far to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's the beauty of it, right? Then you just keep working towards whatever that next thing is, and maybe there's a point where you say, okay, enough is enough. Like I don't have to go that far because I don't. Either, you know, it's not going to fit my lifestyle or I'm doing other things that, that preclude that from happening. But I do think it is taking that, that first step. And I, it's similar to travel. I always tell people, you know, dip your toe in. Like, there's no wrong way to travel. I, I don't personally enjoy package tours and cruises as much as independent travel. But if you're someone who wants to start, that's not a bad way to start. Like, it's better to get out the door and do something than it is to say, oh, well, my first trip has to be to North Korea like Jared went. You know, I mean... And <laughs> I think that kind of brings us up to a point um, that you mentioned you're fr you didn't travel much as a kid or, or really at all, except for a few trips to Florida. And you had a really bad first travel experience. I'm interested to hear this because you just kind of teased it out in the very beginning. What happened on that first travel experience? Oh, man. Yeah. Talk about travel mishaps. So... We, we flew to Costa Rica and we were supposed to spend our first month of traveling ever volunteering at this like eco farm. And we get there and Travis, it was not an eco farm. It was there. They had 99 animals and there was just like feces everywhere. And it was run by this American couple who were like super hippies and they believed in unschooling, which meant they had a 12 year old who was still illiterate, which is just like so sad. And basically we were we were slave labor. The deal had been that we would exchange five hours of work five days a week in exchange for food and lodging. But we were on call from sunup to sundown. And after three days of this, we were just like, 
we need to get out of here so bad. Like the first night she's like, okay, here's uh, where you guys will be sleeping. And I look at the mattresses and I'm like, where did you get these mattresses? And she's like, oh, I actually got them for free from the brothel across the road. <laughs> and we run a charity to fight human trafficking, right? Like, yeah, we know whoops. what's going on. And we're like, yeah, we can't, we can't sleep here. So she took us to this like other cabin and a tarantula like ran out of the room as we walked in and there was like a pile of cat feces on the bed. We're like, yeah, we can't sleep here anywhere. So we ended up sharing a single bed in one of the kids' bedrooms and they like slept with in, with their other sibling. So this was horrible. And the straw that broke the camel's back was... um Not the cat day. feces. Death yeah, and break the... That's, right. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, or the brothel mattress. Yeah. The, what broke the camel's back was um she, one day she asked me to help her with torsolos. And basically what a torsolo is... A mosquito will like sting an animal and then a bot fly will lay an egg in that little hole and it will grow into this like white larva kind of bug. And she asked me to squeeze torsolos from the goat's testicles. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's never happening. So she's like, okay, well, you hold the goat and I'll do it. So I'm like holding this goat's legs with my like head to its rear end while she squeezes torsolos. And I was like, we need to get out of here. And we're like frantically searching online every night. And we'd never traveled before. And we're supposed to be here for a month. Like we're panicking. So we like start praying and we're like really desiring wisdom. And honestly, an angel came up the road. Um, This woman walks up the road and she's like, hey, I'm a flight attendant. I have to go back to San Diego for five weeks. Um, Would you look after my dog while I'm gone? You will have my car and my house for free for a month. We were like, (laughs) what? So we ended up having this like three bedroom tin roof casita on a river in a rainforest with this four by four Suzuki for a month for free. It was like the greatest blessing and gift ever. And so it turned like the worst travel experience, the worst travel mishap ever into like the most memorable month of our lives. (laughs) Wow. How long were you at the awful place before you found this angel flight attendant who just strolled up the road? Yeah, uh, it was three days of just (laughs) 24-7. And then then the next month was just zen heaven. It was beautiful. I read 10 books and just we swam every day. And we'd like catch tilapia in the river and like we'd go to this like wild lemon and orange grove to like get um, citrus for juice. And like every week this like farmer would come by with his cart and you'd buy your week's worth of fruit and vegetables for like seven bucks. Like it was insane. Wow. That is, that's, that's insane that your first couple days were like that. I mean, I think that, I guess it's good to get it out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but at the same point, yeah, that's enough to make anyone say like, I don't want to do this traveling thing. And I think there are times traveling, you inherently put yourself out there more than when you're not traveling, right? And and it's going to usually end up in something like you had for the rest of the month. But there'll be times when it ends up in an absolutely dire, awful condition that you never find yourself in at home. And I think that that kind of, I think people need to know that when they start because they think traveling and they think everything is always going to be magical, but that's not always the case. Totally. I totally agree. You have any other major mishaps that happened to you guys? Because I don't know if anything can beat that, but was there any other times where you've run into a situation that you've either, you know, been in danger or had something that was just like, all right, this is not going well? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, (laughs) We were in... 
uh, what country was it in? It was in Central America. It was either in, um, I think we were in Nicaragua, and we took one of these like eight-hour buses, and we got off, and we got in a taxi, and the taxi was going to take us to this other bus station, and the deal was we were actually going to sleep over in a hotel in the bus station because this city was so dangerous that you had to actually like sleep in the bus station, and like the guards had machine guns and whatnot. But we didn't get there till really late. It was past dark, and the taxi drops us off, and instantly we are surrounded by the most gangster-looking dudes you can imagine. And they're like, don't go to that hotel. Get in our car. We'll take you to a way better hotel. And we're like, that's not happening. And they're like, get in the car. And so we like run to the bus station, and it's closed, and there's no lights on. And we start pounding on this huge metal gate. And they're like, get in the car. Get in the car. We're like, oh dear god open the door <laughs> and like this little metal slot opens and we're like um hi we're jay and michelle and we're supposed to be sleeping here he like looks out and he sees this gang and he just like yells at them like back away from the door i'll blow your heads off i'm assuming that's what he said <laughs> and uh so they like back away pretty quick he opens the door holding a machine gun and we like slip in and he like shuts the gate behind us and that was like oh what a moment of relief travis <laughs> it was like oh my goodness I've never felt so safe in a bus station before. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. I want to touch, um, just as we wrap up here, on a few of your tips. And, and you gave some really great tips, actually, for, for living cheap and things like that. Is there other stuff that you guys do while you're traveling? You know, the whole goal here, the whole tagline is travel more, spend less. You know, how can people have these authentic travel experiences, but not blow through a budget so that they can obviously afford to, to then travel more? What are some of your best tips then for, for traveling on a budget, but doing it in a way that, yeah, you're not sleeping at places where you have to, uh, you know, get the little things off uh, goat testicles? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things. Like, I mean, I think one big thing is just don't be tourists. <laughs> like, it's actually crazy that people will spend their like one or two weeks holidays to fly around the world to like literally look at a piece of architecture for like 10 seconds. Like, People who go to like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, like go see Pisa if you're on like a month long trip through Italy. But like the fact that people like go to Paris to wait in line so they can spend five minutes in Shakespeare and Co. like the bookstore is just you're going to end up being so disappointed. So for Michelle and I now, um, we don't like do the touristy thing. We love to base camp. So we will actually like try to spend at least a, a month somewhere and have a base camp. And then from there, you can go out and you can do the touristy things, but you can also like get good traction at your work. And you can be way more affordable because when you rent something for a month, it's way cheaper. And then you can grocery shop too. So we end up, uh, so for example, like we rented a casita overlooking a beautiful lake in Mexico for 400 bucks a month. And groceries were like 25 bucks a week, maybe. That's a really cheap way to spend a beautiful month in Mexico and then take wonderful out trips to, you know, beautiful UNESCO heritage sites and museums and art and culture and dances and all sorts of cool things. So I would say just don't be tourists. And then the other thing I would say is be open to new experiences. So we try to have our, our whole lives with an open hand, but we definitely have our travel times with an open hand. And like, if we meet someone that they're like, Hey, I'm going here next. And this is what it's going to cost and this is what we're going to do. Some of our craziest experiences have happened that way. Like we met this one girl in Guatemala and we ended up traveling together for like a week and she took us to islands we'd never been to before. Like we rented in Belize a oceanfront purple beach hut on stilts for like 14 bucks a night on the ocean. 
And like we swam in underground rivers and like stuff we never would have done for like five bucks because we just met someone who, you know, was a little bit more in the know because she'd been there before or whatever. So don't be tourists and be open to new experiences. Be flexible. Don't spend a month, you know, squeezing goat's balls. Yeah, yeah. traveling slow, <laughs> yeah. if you're able to do it, is such a welcome experience compared to a lot of travel that most people do. And and I'm you know, guilty of it as well. You want to see so much. You want to go, 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 go. And, but we have found as well, you know, try to get a home base, take the day trips or, or, a week, or a weekend trip off of that kind of place. But if you have a home base, if you're able to do it, if you're location independent, or you can just travel around and you, you're not on a time crunch, it is so much nicer rather than jumping from place to place to place to place every couple of days to have a home base and do that. And as you mentioned, if you're trying to get work done and do stuff like that, it's almost impossible I found to do it when you're traveling quickly. So I think those are, are really, really great advice. What do you have in the pipeline then, Jared, that people should be looking out for, either personally or professionally? Personally, we're going to spend the rest of the summer at the trailer. We got a nice, the park has a nice indoor and outdoor pool and we have lots of campfires with our friends. And so that's that's the summer. Um, this year we're thinking, and it's still you know in the plans, but we're thinking we're, we're going to be base camped in Germany this winter. Berlin uh, is a awesome city and there's you can get anywhere in western europe um from the airport super cheap so we're probably gonna be in germany the big things we have coming up later this summer is red light green light it's coming out on dvd um we're hopefully going to be launching uh, a human trafficking podcast in the fall websites getting renovated i've started fundraising for our next documentary and i'm working on a novel so keeping busy and trying to do things that make the world a better place and then everything we do is owned by our nonprofits. so like my book a year of living prayerfully all my author royalties are donated to charity so it's really cool that people have been really liking it and laughing and learning about prayer and that we get to do more good in the world because we live super simple we don't need a lot and so it's great to be able to just work on projects that matter and then just help people so yeah we're just going to keep doing that yeah, is that all? Is that all? You're writing a novel. You're doing this. Yeah. Awesome stuff, Jared. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, for all the amazing stories you shared, also for the way that you and your wife are living your life, just living it out in a way that you want to do it and hopefully being able to then, you know, be a light and show other people, hey, you don't have to have a lot of stuff. You know, you can work on all these projects that you want to do. Just go and do it. Just a really, really cool message that you guys share. Remind people one more time how they can come connect with you. Of course, then, you know, how they can pick up the book, how they can get the DVD, things like that. Uh, the charity is called Hope for the Sold, S-O-L-D, uh, .com, uh, .com, redlightgreenlightfilm.com. If you want to see the video trailer for the book, as well as download the first two chapters for free, you can do so at livingprayerfully.com. Dot com. Travis, thanks so much for having me, um, for saying yes to an email from like a random fan. Um, <laughs> this was fun. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Guys, we will link up everything that Jared just mentioned in the show notes. And you can go to jaredbrock.com and that'll take you kind of to the projects he does. It's my pleasure. It really is. I get a lot of emails of people like, hey, do you need a guest on the show? This and that. And I always appreciate either people recommending others or recommending themselves. I'm never against that. You know, If you are going to recommend yourself, Jared, you wrote like a three-sentence email and you just said, hey, do you want to talk to someone who walks on hot coals, has been to North Korea, and has met with the Pope? I mean, it's hard <laughs> to turn down, my friend. <laughs> well, thanks for saying yes. 
Yeah. So guys, check out jaredbrock.com um, if you want to learn more. And also a big shout out to our sponsor for today, uh, Tortuga Backpacks. If you want to travel and you need the best bag, the one that I bring all around the world with me, check out tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget, you can use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capitals. You'll get 10% off your order. Jared, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate some incredible stories you've got to share. Thanks, Travis. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Thank you for the support, as always, and for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. Until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you-